Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second season and the sixth episode of the Spin Move podcast, where we give our spin on the week's worth of news. I'm your host, Samir, alongside Paolo. I'm back. Yep, after a week-long uh, absence. And uh, Nathan is on, unfortunately unable to uh, join us due to a uh, um, family emergency. So and That's what happened to me uh, last week, an unexpected family emergency. We hope that everything is fine with Nathan and that he'll be able to join us next week. Yep. And so before we get started, uh, where can you find us? Well, you can uh, find the Spin Move podcast on any mobile device. Just go to your Apple Podcasts or Spotify account and then uh, search Spin Move Podcast on either or. You can find us there. You can find us on uh, Google Play or you can find us by just simply Googling our name, Spin Move Podcast. There you can uh, listen to us offline or listen to us on the website itself as we have an MP3 file or yeah, on that website, the Spin Move Podcast at the Pinecast host source. Oh, and also, by the way, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate that. Yep, and you can always uh, tweet at us at Spin Move Podcast as we'll, we produce episodes once a week every uh, Thursday through uh, Sunday once a week. Retweet us and quote tweet us and whatnot. So we have a busy schedule uh, of topics to talk about. MLB playoffs are in uh, full throttle. Going to go through the Nationals with the they're, as they're on the brink of elimination tonight on this Wednesday. And then uh, talk about the Mystics, how they almost won in the WNBA title. And yet they are forced to play a Game 5 at home, uh, Ultimate Game 5 for the title. And then uh, talk about the uh, NFL and uh, college football. We'll, we'll break down what happened in the over the past week and give a preview of what's to come. So with the MLB playoffs, we have the the divisional round is almost complete. In the AL, the uh, New York Yankees have swept the Minnesota Twins in uh, three games. As what was surprising is that the Twins, who were a powerhouse off- offensively, I believe like seven of their players hit 20 home runs each. They basically had zero holes offensively in that lineup. And yet, in a three-game series, they only scored seven runs total against the Yankees. If that doesn't tell you the talent gap that's going on with the Yankees and the Minnesota Twins, then I don't know what is. Yep. And this is despite the Yankees having that horrible uh, stretch of a season where they had a myriad of injuries and yet finished the top of the finished as a number two seed in the American League. So if I can remember correctly, wouldn't this be a 16-game losing streak right now going on with the Minnesota Twins? Against the Yankees? Possibly, yes. No, but like in the postseason. Yeah, because they because what's funny is that, and unfortunately funny, is that the Twins, every time they go to the playoffs, they face the Yankees unexpectedly. And so they lose because the Yankees are a better team than the Twins every single year. And it kind of reminds me way back when the Wizards were in the playoffs the last two decades ago, during the 2000s, they would always face the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah. And yet... For three straight years, they lost to the LeBron-led Cavaliers and then in the first round. An ESPN article from Steve Richards, I want to give him credit for this. He wrote that the Yankees have been the Twins' particular nemesis during this painful playoff stretch, handing Minnesota 13 of the 16 defeats, including the Monday night series ender in Game 3 at Target Field. Yep. 
And then in the other uh, American League matchup between the Houston Astros and Tampa Bay, uh, Bay Rays, they're heading into a Game 5 as well tomorrow night, uh, Thursday night, which is very surprising as Astros had the best record in uh, baseball, if I'm not mistaken. And the Rays are a wildcard team that had to uh, go through the wildcard and now face the Astros, and they just won two straight games against the Astros. Well, Samir, how many times have we seen in the postseason, whatever you've done in the regular season means nothing when the postseason comes back. Yeah, but this is kind of surprising because the Astros are kind of like the, I want to say the Golden State Warriors and how they're built. They have three really good aces in Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, and uh, Zach Greinke. And yet these young Rays have forced them to an elimination game tomorrow night. But it also comes to execution, though. Yeah, um, true. Like for the Astros, are, are they making the big plays? They're making plays, but are they making the, the necessary ones that will win them the game? It looks like that's not the case. It looks like from Tampa Bay, they they want this game more than Houston. And based on what you're saying from Houston, you're comparing them to the Warriors. Maybe they're thinking, oh, we got this in the bag. We've done great in the regular season. We should take care of Tampa Bay, no problem. Not realizing that Tampa Bay is making this a series. Yep, pretty much that. And so that is very intriguing that the Rays could pull off the upset. And another side note I found on Reddit is that it's a battle between two, uh, I want to say, orange juice teams because uh, the Houston Astros play in Tropicana, no, play in Minute Maid Park while it, the Rays play at Tropicana Field. Because it looks like from the Rays, uh, Diego Castillo has um, three, had three strikeouts mm. in the 4-1 to one victory against the Astros. And then you have Nick Anderson and... Colin Poach hmm. with two strikeouts. So, Paolo, you heard my comment about how these two teams are orange teams. One, uh, Astros uh, play at uh, Minute Maid Park. The other, uh, the Rays play at uh, Tropicana Field. Oh, man. <laughs> yep. And then in the uh, NL, we have the uh, Atlanta Braves, who won the NL East rather easily, versus the St. Louis Cardinals. And what's surprising is that Game 5 is happening right now. The series has been going back and forth, back and forth, very close the, between these two teams. It's only the bottom of the fifth. Bottom of the fifth, and the Cardinals are up 13-1. to one. They put up an 11 run, uh, 10 runs in the first inning itself, knocking out the pitcher after, what, uh, a quarter, uh, third of an inning? That's mind-boggling Yeah. Right there. The Cardinals putting up 11 runs. This is kind of uh, – I was listening to the Steve Zabin show on the ride back way coming here, and he was basically noting that it reminded him of the uh, Eagles' Monday, Monday night game against the Redskins. The, ma- the Monday yep. massacre. massacre where they opened up 35 nothing to start the game. 28 nothing at the first quarter. or mm. Yeah, I think the first quarter. This is very surprising since it's an elimination game and the Cardinals are up well, I'm looking, 13-1. Well, it looks like from the Cardinals uh, pitching, uh, Jack uh, Flaherty. Flaherty, he has six strikeouts. That's and how a, many hits? For hits, he has two hits. He's allowed, oh, that's pretty yeah. good in five innings. And then for when it comes to batting from the Cardinals, Dexter Fowler hit had two RBIs. Colton Wong had two RBIs. Uh, Tommy Edmond got two RBIs. Paul DeJean had two RBIs. So, yeah, everyone's chipping in, basically. It's not just one player. It's a multitude of players. Yep. And then we have what the game of the possibly the, the game of the season and possibly of uh, the franchise tonight as the Washington Nationals go to L.A. tonight to face off against the Dodgers 
in an elimination game. And if the Nationals win tonight, it would be their first time in franchise history they'll make the uh, the com- this basically the semifinals or basically the NL uh, conference uh, championship, whatever you want to call it. Because it's basically like any other um, any other team in Washington D.C. The Redskins, um, since they assigned their own the team, they haven't made it past the second round. Uh, first round, you mean? After the first round. In 2005, they had the wild card but couldn't get past the second round. Yeah. And then I think it was until last year, the Capitals could not get past the second round and, and so many game sevens. And yet the Wizards, they couldn't get past the second round. The Nationals have, a, have an opportunity to join the Capitals and finally um, overcoming the second round demons. And going where no other national team has gone before. And so to give you a quick recap of the past four games... Game one was basically all offense to uh, uh, with the Dodgers. The uh, Los Angeles got timely hits off Patrick Corbin, who started the game, and Tanner Rainey and Hunter Strickland, the other two relievers, as the the uh, Dodgers got home runs from Gavin Lux, the rookie, and Jock Pedersen, winning six nothing in game one. Game two was basically the Scherzer reliever game. The Nats opened up to a three nothing lead after two innings. And then after Max Muncy hit a solo home run off of Sean Doolittle in the seventh inning, Max Scherzer came in the next inning, pitched a flawless eighth inning, striking out all three batters he faced on 14 pitches on 11 strikes. Clutch. He's coming up yep. clutch when the game is on the line. So closer Daniel Hudson ended up loading the bases in the bottom of the ninth inning, causing a lot of tension and uh, with Nationals fans, but we, he was able to preserve the 4-2 win. So we're 1-1 after the first two games. Game three, similarly like game two, opened up to a 2-0 lead after two innings. As uh, Juan Soto, like I said in last week's podcast, his nickname is Childish Bambino. A a nickname off of uh, Childish Gambino, the actor slash uh, known as Donald Glover, and uh, the great Bambino, which is Babe Ruth's nickname. You put it together, you get Childish Bambino, Juan Soto's nickname. He hit the first Nats home run of the playoffs off of the Dodgers' best starting pitcher in Juan Jin Ryu, and unfortunately, the game went south from there. Hannibal Sanchez was near perfect in the first four innings, but in the fifth, he allowed a solo shot to Max Muncy, who has been on fire against the Nats. And then uh, Hannibal was yanked for Patrick Corbin in the sixth inning, and then Corbin had his worst performance ever of his career, if I'm not mistaken, giving up... Doubles and singles to the likes of Russell Martin, a longtime veteran, Kike Hernandez, and Cody Bellinger, who the guy who hit 47 home runs this year, who was hitless in the series. And then uh, Wando Suero, the, the other uh, reliever, followed. And then Justin Turner hit a dagger of a three-run home run that capped off a seven-run sixth inning. So the Nationals were up 2-0, 2-1 heading into the sixth inning. It was 8-2. From 2-1 to 8-2. And I think the Dodgers won 10-4. Yep, yep they, they ended up winning 10-4. And Davey Martinez's strategy, the manager of the Nationals, of using starting pitchers as middle relievers quickly and easily backfired in Game 3. Clearly. Yep, and then in Game 4, which happened on Sunday, just like in Game 1, the Do- when the Dodgers led after the first inning 1-0, Justin Turner was the one that hit the solo shot off of Max Scherzer. Afterwards, Scherzer kind of settled down, allowing only a few base runners in seven innings pitched through intermittent rain. It was rain. 
got seven strikeouts. Yep, it was raining pretty hard uh, and uh, on and off, but they were still able to play throughout. Then uh, Rendon hit a sacrifice fly that was this close to being a grand slam, but it scored a run, so uh, it's 1-1. Then came the fifth inning, which was basically like the uh, Dodgers' sixth inning in game uh, three. Trey Turner hit a single. Eden hit a uh, got out. Then Rendon followed hit a single that scored Turner. Soto popped up. So now there's two outs, and uh, we have a 2-1 lead. Then Howie Kendrick who has had a miserable series because of uh, base running errors and uh, fielding errors in the previous games. He also singled. So we have uh, Rendon on third, Howie Kendrick on first, two outs, fifth inning, Zim Ryan Zimmerman, the longtime national up. And with the third pitcher of the game up, because of all these uh, uh, base runners getting on, uh, the hitters getting on base, Zimmerman launched what could be the most historic home run in Nationals history, a three-run home run. That was amazing. To go from 2-1 to 5-1 in a blink of an eye to center field. Question. Do you think this is Ryan Zimmerman's last game in, in uh, Nats Park? That was. Uh, we could see it based on tonight. I mean, if the Nats win, then obviously we'll have uh, more home games. But if they lose, yes. It's just hard for me to see Ryan Zimmerman in another team. Other no, no, he's gonna he's gonna retire. He said. Retire. Yep. So the Nationals better win the World Series to send him home. Yep. And so yeah, this game uh, game uh, four was a complete opposite of game three, as uh, they ended up winning six one, forcing an ultimate game five tonight. And so we have uh, tonight we have uh, Steven Strasburg, who has been uh, like I've said in previous podcasts, lights out. He's allowed only one run in nine innings pitched this playoffs, and he has a .42 ERA, which is very microscopic. In the uh, .24 ERA in the entire playoffs prior to last, this season, which is really, really good. It really is. I'm hoping the Nats win. I'll be, uh, I'll be pleasantly surprised if they win because, because of uh, the previous history with uh, DC Sports. Yeah. I mean, I hope the Nats win. I think the Dodgers will win. I'm, I think so because of the home field advantage. Mm -hmm. And since they've been to the World Series the last two years, they know what to do in this type of situation than the Nationals do. But the Nationals do have a bright future. If they can get back Anthony Rendon. I mean, yeah, if he comes through in the clutch hitting, hope they'll win. Yeah, but it, they also got to keep Anthony Rendon. Um, For future years you're talking about? Yeah. You know, not let them leave in free agency. Yep, of course. So, yeah, it should be an exciting game nevertheless. Hopefully not the kind of blowout that we've seen in the uh, earlier game today with the uh, Braves and Cardinals. Basically a game to forget for the Braves after their spectacular season this year. So next we're going to move on to the uh, recap of games three and four of the WNBA Finals, including a game uh, five preview. Uh, with between the Mist, uh, local team, the Washington Mystics, and the Connecticut Sun. So I talked about it in last week's podcast. The Mystics and Sun basically split the two games. And uh, in this case, in Game 3 on Sunday, Elena Deladon, after being ruled doubtful following a, a herniated disc injury in Game 2, like I mentioned in last week, he actually, she actually played in Game 3. And she was a huge spark as the team was able to uh, uh, mitigate the rebounding disaster in Game 2, where the Sun rebound out-rebounded the uh, Mystics in Game 2, 
41 rebounds to 27. And in this case, in Game 3, it was the opposite. Mystics out-rebounded the Sun 34-27 with Elena Deladon present. Even though she only had 13 points and 6 boards, but her presence outweighed her stats in Game 3. I mean, as long as she's not only scoring, but also um, making plays that will allow her teammates to make the plays needed to win the game, mm -hmm. then that's all that she cares about. Yep, and, and in Game 3... Uh, John Quill Jones, who I mentioned in last week's podcast, she had a 32.18 rebound outing in Game 2, was only 3 of 8 from the field and only 9 points and 9 rebounds only. She had 9 offensive rebounds in Game 2. Wow. Yeah, and then in Courtney Williams, who averaged 20-plus points in these playoffs. She was down to 6. Yeah, she only finished 2 of 9 from the field and 6 points. And uh, as a point guard Natasha Cloud for the Mystics, Swarmed her every time there was a rebounding opportunity. And so, yeah, they uh, ended up winning Game 3. But Game 4 yesterday was basically another a story of its own. This was a game of, uh, of basically of, uh, halves by both teams. In the first half, it was the Suns started hot and aggressive as they allowed no second-chance rebounds for the visiting Mystics. And they opened up an 18-point lead. I think it was 16 by halftime. And then it was also noticed in the telecast that the team that has won the first quarter, quote-unquote, the team that led after the first quarter had won each of the prior three games. And, and since Connecticut had 32 points compared to the Mystics' 17 in the first quarter. It was predicted that the, Mist that the Sun would win. Yep. And so Alyssa Thomas, the former Terp, uh, had a huge first half. With the WNBA Finals record eight first half assists to go along with 14 first half points, and she was clearly orchestrating the offense so well, despite playing the bulk of these playoffs with torn labrum muscles in both shoulders, which is very painful. I don't know how she's playing these playoffs with those. I mean, don't be surprised if you hear that she re-injured it or made it worse um, down the line. Yeah. And for John Quill Jones, as we were speaking. Uh, previously on Game 3 had a letdown. Well, on Game 4, it went back to uh, being dominant as uh, John Quill Jones got 18 points and 13 rebounds with 3 assists. Yep. And then Courtney Williams, you were talking about, only had 6 points in Game 3. She had 16 points with 7 rebound, rebounds and 4 assists. Yep, and then so like I was saying about the halves, uh, it was all sudden in the first half, then it was all Mystics in the second as they responded in a huge third quarter. And for the Mystics, I think in the, sec in the second half, you had Ariel Atkins carrying the team on like the final stretches of the game. Yeah, and towards the third quarter and fourth quarter. And then even Emma Messiman, who's, uh, who didn't even score in the first half, had 12 points in the second, huge three-pointer after three-pointer in the fourth quarter. As the team went on a 28-12 third quarter run, turned that 18-point sun... Uh, First half lead to tie it at 68 all. Yeah, to start the first fourth. it was an 18 point lead, like you said, from Connecticut. Then it went down to a four point lead, and then it went to a tie game at that point of the game. Yep, and then the fourth quarter was more of a dogfight between these two teams as both teams exchanged buckets and three pointers. Unfortunately for the Mystics, who had a five point lead towards the, I want to say, the three minute, four minute mark, couldn't maintain that five point lead, and they ended up losing by four. 90-86 in uh, Connecticut as the Sun force a Game 5 in D.C. tomorrow night. 
So, should be an exciting game nevertheless because it's basically for the WNBA title. So, Paulo, your thoughts and predictions? I'm going to go with the Mystics for the win. They are at home. They have to give it their all. They cannot allow... What they did in the first half. What they did in or, the first half. Or even the first quarter. Even though they came back to... Uh, they came back from an 18-point lead. They cannot be a down in that hole again because I think Connecticut will make the adjustments needed to make sure that, uh, a deficit like that doesn't go away again. Mm-hmm. I think in order for them – here are my keys. The Mystics will win if they can slow down Alyssa Thomas. Exactly, because she's been a, a wrecking ball for the team – and just dominant on, like I said, orchestrating the offense, and despite the two torn labrums, has played exceptionally well and then for the from, team. Um, the, the Mystic side, obviously, Adela Don and Messaman have to come up huge. The other players have to step up, especially if Ariel Atkins is going to still try to play through the injuries. Chrissy Tolliver and Natasha Cloud need to step up big as well. Mm-hmm, because I believe uh, Tolliver had a, uh, a quiet game. She only had, like, what, seven points, three assists or something? She yeah. did, but, like, in game three, she has the capability to come up big because I think in game three she uh, had 20 points. Yeah, 20 points, like 10 assists or whatever. So, yeah, I'm going to say um, Mystics win. But, yeah, they have to bring their IA game. Like it, like we said, it's for the title, for the uh, – Num- for basically to become the champion. And, yeah, we're rooting hard and watching that game. I mean, John Quill Jones is also a key player for the Mystics to stop, but I think um, Alyssa Thomas is more dangerous. Yeah, of course. Because they have to get the boards, make sure they get second-chance points, dominate the glass, and, yeah, and knock down those three-pointers because that first half in that game four, they didn't make many. It's When the second half started – they started making their threes, making their twos. So rebounding is so key. Yeah. Once you get rebounding, that leads to second chance points. And that can also lead to, I mean, even if you get a defensive rebound, you can also have the opportunity to get fast break points. Yep. And now we're going to go to the NFL season well, week three recap. Or no, week, week five. Five recap, sorry. Uh, and then also talk about first about the big news in uh, D.C., what news? <laughs> I don't think we heard any news recently other than the well, upcoming game. Well, we talked about the Nationals. We talked about the Mystics. I mean, the Wizards, I think they're on, they're on pre, or preseason mode. Yep, the first preseason game was just yesterday or two days ago. So when, that would leave the Redskins. Well, but what, what's going on with the Redskins? I believe someone or uh, got uh, removed from their position. Oh, oh, right, 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 Dad. Uh, I'm sorry. I was trying to block that out. Yep. After the 33-7 to debacle at home against the New England Patriots, on Monday morning, Jay Gruden was summoned to Redskins Park at 5 o'clock Monday morning to be informed that he was relieved from his duties. Jay Gruden, this was his sixth season, started 0-5, but he had uh, – his record was 35 49 and one. The one tie being against the uh, Bengals in London, I remember. Oh, 35, 49, and one. So yep. I think that's 14 games under 500. Not good. Later on on Monday, at least, I think one o'clock, 
you had a Bruce Allen press conference, which when I heard that, I was like, what? Because as we mentioned before in the podcast, Bruce Allen doesn't like to uh, talk in the, in the press conference ever since the infamous 2015 winning off the field press conference. And he talked about how they relieved Jay of his uh, duties. He was asked the tough questions that uh, – that that white, we, we have a good culture, quote actually, unquote. Actually, he said, we actually have a pretty damn good culture. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me see. Who are you fooling? Let me see. A good culture that in, uh, results in 20 years of mediocrity, 20 years of this – Sub-500 football. Sub-500 football being a laughing stock. Bruce Allen's going back to – we're not bad. I mean, we started six and three last year, and if it wasn't for the injuries, and on top of that, he was said, I believe, in uh, when he was being interviewed on uh, a senior a bowl in the senior bowl way back in January, he was saying we were close. Yeah, all and five are they? Uh, yeah, all and five were still close. Yeah, right. And then there was Tom Fitzgerald, Fox Five News. He actually asked uh, this bowl question, which I would have to applaud him for that. He said. The stadium was filled with Patriot fans. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. The stadium was filled with Patriot fans. Do you have anything to say to the fans? Will you apologize to the fans for what is going on with the Redskins right now? And then Bruce Allen does what he does. He's He talks like a politician, dodging the question. And then he basically, in paraphrasing, was blaming the fans uh, for – the opposing fans coming into the stadium and basically saying, well, they're just, they're just basically selling their tickets in the secondary market. And, like StubHub or SeatGeek yeah. or whatever. And yeah, such a ludicrous statement to make and not taking uh, deflecting all the blame to the fans. And also someone asked him, why isn't Dan Snyder here? Because I am. When is Dan Snyder available to talk? Oh, Dan Snyder makes himself available from time to time. Uh, what? I haven't heard Dan Snyder near near a mic near a mic because that's bruce allen's job bruce allen this is why bruce allen is here he is here to take all the bullets for dan snyder and it just basically shows the as kevin sheen would say the incompetence the arrogance the ineptitude the ineptitude of this franchise the fact that bruce allen and dan snyder the decision makers of this franchise are the only two people that think that everything's going well with Washington. Everybody wants to come here. This is a great team when everyone can see that this is a mess to the point where nobody with a good track record, coach or front office or any player wants to come here. Yep. It's a black eye basically on our team now. And I and I have more to say, but I'm just going to – going to leave it there for uh, time constraints, but we're going to also switch to the Bill Callahan press conference because he's been named the interim head coach with Kevin O'Connell calling the plays, which I do agree with. I mean, everyone's talking about Kevin O'Connell possibly being our next head coach. Well, we need to know how good is he at running plays. And also, he was asked about the quarterback position, whether uh, Dwayne Haskins will be starting. And he said that he is not a candidate right now, but he will play eventually. And that they were going to develop a plan to get him ready, get him some reps, to help him learn to play the quarterback position better. But in the meantime, Bill Callahan is going to take this week to decide whether to go with Case or Colt. Your thoughts, Samir? 
Yeah, I mean, he wants to have a run-first system. And so it's kind of funny because everyone has noticed Redskins are near the bottom or at the bottom in terms of rush offense. As they produced, what, 50, 60 yards of offense each game, yeah. which is nothing, literally. And it's been well known that uh, Jake Rudin and Bill Callahan have had a disconnect. Yep. And so, yeah, he's a focus on that. He's focused on uh, being a more, like, disciplined uh, head coach com- more compared to the more laid-back Jay Gruden. And there's still another news. He didn't make any changes to the, the defensive staff. Greg Minuski is still, still the there, defensive yep. coordinator. And he was asked in a press conference, I think it was either Monday or today, why didn't he make the change to the defensive staff? He thought it would be – he wanted to be fair to them, give them a – Full season. A, a, not a full season, but like a fresh start hmm. coming off uh, the coaching change in the 0-5 season, which, look, I get it, but we've already seen, like, what, for two and a half seasons that the defense is bad, that clearly Greg Minuski does, is not doing good at his job. Undisciplined, false starts, offsides, holding, pass interference, guys don't know where to go, who to cover. I mean – and it's so much, it's so bad that they actually brought uh, college refs to today's practice. Well, I'll be fine with that because they need to clean up on the penalties. Mm-hmm. And before we move on, because I wasn't here, I just want to make a quick note. Everyone is blaming Jay Gruden for just throwing Haskins to the wolves, as they say. I watched the game. Dwayne Haskins was not thrown into the wolves. All right, he did not look lost. He made some plays at the Giants game. What he did find out was the defensive players are much faster than the ones in college. Yep, because it's like another whole nother level. Yeah, so if he's being chased by his defensive end, they're more, they're much faster than the ones in the Big Ten. If he holds on to the ball too long, more than likely it's going to get picked off. So he needs to learn how to have an eternal clock. But right now what I want to see from Bill Callahan and Kevin O'Connell – Try to simplify the offense. That was a that was a criticism on Jay Gruden. He was stubborn. He wanted everyone to learn the whole playbook. So that's what I want to make my point. Jay Gruden did not throw Haskins to the wolves, all right? He did not do Haskins dirty. Haskins has to learn how to play the quarterback position better and learn that the guys in the NFL are very are very fast and very intelligent in college. And I'm, get, I'm thinking maybe the reason people are piling on Jay Gruden for what they're doing on Haskins is because of what happened with Jay Gruden and RG3. Mm. That's just my thought. We're going to see how it goes. They have a game this coming Sunday against the Miami Dolphins, and as everyone likes to call that, the Tank Bowl. The Tank for Tua Bowl, so yeah, we'll see who wins or who loses, basically. I mean, I would say start Haskins now, but... If they have a plan, I'll be okay with it because I need to get this guy ready. True, because this is basically what people are saying is like his red shirt year. Because I don't agree with the with the Josh Rosen uh, comparison decision. Yeah. decision. You have if, if the guy's not good, then you have to get you have to make a decision on getting another quarterback. Because whoever the new head coach is, that may the decision may happen. Like maybe the guy is not enamored with Dwayne Haskins, which. I would hope they don't do they don't do Haskins the way Josh they the Arizona Cardinals did Josh Rosen because if teams keep doing that how are you going to get better? If anyone remembers, Peyton Manning was horrible in his early years. Troy Aikman was horrible in his early years. If they did whatever if they did what Arizona did with Josh Rosen, they wouldn't have Super Bowls. 
And now we're going to go through a quick, hopefully under five minute recap of the uh, past week of NFL games. I'll probably take closer to eight minutes, but yeah, we'll we'll time it and we'll see how it goes. We're going to do this. So, uh, without further ado, let's get started. As the uh, Thursday night game uh, was a great game between the two NFC uh, West foes in the Rams and Seahawks. An exciting competitive game between the two as, unfortunately, the Rams lost Brandon Cooks to a concussion late in the game, as well as lose the game due to a, a su- surprisingly inaccurate 44-yard field goal with less than a minute left from Greg Zerline. Which I think you have on your fantasy team, by the yeah, way. Yeah, unfortunately. And in our league, it's negative three points. So, ouch. But uh, Seahawks are still proving that uh, that Russell Wilson is still an MVP uh, talent. I was listening on the radio on the Steve Zabin show on the way here. He was saying, like, Wilson has thrown, like, 44 touchdowns and, like, only six picks over the past, like, full season or whatever. Thanks. And so he got – he is looking incredible. Uh, he had a gorgeous touchdown to Tyler Lockett that only he could throw. Hey. And Russell Wilson is proving everyone why Seattle paid him that big contract. Yep, and then Chris Carson had a big game as well. As the Seahawks barely squeaked by the Rams 30-29. to 29. And then we have the Philadelphia Eagles destroying – the New York Jets, 31 to 6. There was basically no game. I was wondering why. Then I realized, oh, wait, the Jets are starting Luke Falk again. Yep, after only one game of practice over the past week because they thought Sam Darnold would be ready after his mono sickness. But unfortunately, it showed that after one game of practice, they lost, uh, what, 31 to 6 to the Eagles and as the Eagles wrapped up yeah, 10 so sacks. Basically, we know that Luke Falk. Uh, starting for the New York Jets, they have no chance. Sam Darnold, with Sam Darnold, they do have a chance. And they looks like they're going to get Sam Darnold back next week against the Cowboys. Yep, and then we have the Jaguars and Panthers in what was a, one of the games of the week uh, between two cats. Uh, the Panthers behind a fantasy frontrunner, Christian McCaffrey, 19 carries for 176 yards and two touchdowns, six catches for 61 yards and another uh Flip of a touchdown. They won despite a furious fourth quarter comeback by Gardner Minshew, uh, Mustache Minshew, and the Jags. As Minshew mania. Yep. So despite that fourth quarter comeback, the Panthers win 34-27. And then we go to New York as Daniel Jones tries to lead the New York Giants to another victory against the Minnesota Vikings, only to realize the Minnesota Vikings are a great team as they lost. 28-10. You had Kirk Cousins going through the week of his receivers basically ripping them publicly on Twitter. You had Adam Thielen saying at some point you got to throw the ball more. And then you had uh, Stephon Diggs basically once out. But in New York, Adam Thielen had seven catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns. Stephon Diggs, uh, 44 yards. He still played well. So because of the 28-10 win, Everybody's kumbaya between the three. Oh, and they also won with Dalva Cook basically having 132 rushing yards. The Minnesota Vikings won for you. And then we have the Falcons and Texans in what was the highest scoring game of the week as the Texans put a 50-burger on the defenseless Falcons, winning 53-32. And basically, uh, 
this what was shocking about the Falcons as a whole. They had a 17-16 halftime lead. From then on, Texans scored 34 half, second half points. Thank you, Will Fuller. Yep, Will Fuller had a huge game. 14 catches for 217 yards and three touchdowns. And Deshaun Watson had over 400 yards and five touchdowns. The Atlanta Falcons are not doing their head coach favors as he is also on the hot seat. Yep. Dan Quinn. And we also have the New Orleans Saints beating down NFC South rival Tampa Bay Buccaneers 31-24. to they are, they are continuing on a roll without Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater. Played his best game. Played his so, best, so best game year. as a Saint, 314 yards, four touchdowns, and a pick. Michael Thomas went off with 11 catches, 182 yards, and two touchdowns. The running game for the Buccaneers, non-existent. But Chris Godwin, basically showing why he should be the number one receiver as he has seven catches for 125 yards and two touchdowns. Mike Evans is still a top target, although for that Sunday, he caught nada. Not even a single target. Which I did not appreciate as he's on my fantasy team. (laughs) As he was, yeah, blanketed by Marshawn Lattimore, who is a top five cover corner in the NFL. And then we have the low-scoring game of the week in the Bills-Titans game uh, in uh, between two AFC red, white, and blue foes. It's the one in the north that comes up top uh, 14-7. And what I found surprising is that Derrick Henry, who had a great second half of the season last year, has yet to miss a beat as he has scored uh, four touchdowns in the last five games and has, has at least 75 yards in four of the last five games as well. The Arizona Cardinals winning their first game of the season. Ha-ha! The air raid offense succeeds, at least for one week, as they beat the Cincinnati Bengals 26-23. Kyler Murray had 253 passing yards, although he had no touchdowns, but good news, no interceptions. Kyler Murray did have a rushing touchdown as he had 10 carries for 93 yards. The Cincinnati Bengals... Despite Joe Mixon running for nearly 100 yards, Tyler Boyd going off for 123 receiving yards and a touchdown. The Cincinnati Bengals are joining the Washington Redskins in obscurity as they are now 0-5. Yep, this, despite a furious comeback in the fourth quarter, they scored a game, the game-tying touchdown with like uh, less than two minutes and yet came up short as the... Uh, Cardinals hit the game-winning field goal with no time left on the clock. So Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury finally got a win, while new uh, Cincinnati head coach Zach Taylor still winless as a head coach. Yep, and then the next game we have is the Pats and Redskins. Next. We, do we really need to talk about this? Yep. Patriots win, 33-7. Moving on. We now go to the Baltimore Ravens beating the Pittsburgh Steelers 26-23. to the Pittsburgh Steelers defense holding Lamar Jackson to only 161 passing yards. He threw a touchdown, but got three picks. And so, was sacked five times. So they did their job in containing Lamar Jackson. But what was the downfall was Mason Rudolph, the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, going down to a concussion as he got nailed in the chin. In comes in third-string quarterback Devlin Hodges. Who? Huh? Yeah, Devlin <laughs> Hodges, who threw for 7 of 9 and 68 passing yards. Yep, not a great performance by the Steelers' oh, offense. They, had, they also had Jalen Samuels throwing for a while. 
Yep, and yeah, it wasn't great for the Steelers, but they did make it competitive and it did go to overtime, but the Ravens prevailed 26-23. It doesn't help when your quarterback goes down with an injury. Yep, and then uh, we'll, the, we have one of the first of many games in England this season. This pitted the Bears uh, linebacker Khalil Mack against his now former team, the Raiders. Hey, he's getting his revenge, isn't he? Not so fast. It was the California team who had the last laugh in London in a dominating fashion. But the score would tell you otherwise as the uh, Raiders won 24-21. Against one of the best run defenses in the NFL in the Bears, the Raiders rushed for 169 yards behind the rookie uh, Josh Jacobs' 26 carries on 123 yards and two touchdowns, including the game winner. Thank you for those fantasy points, Josh Jacobs. Yep, with under two minutes left in the game as they pulled off the upset. So basically, you can say that John Gruden was proven right. Yep, for the first time this year. Or for the second time this year. But we still know that the, the Chicago Bears won that trade. Mm-hmm. Then we go to the AFC West as the Denver Broncos defeat the Los Angeles Chargers 20-30. to Philip Rivers, not a great game for him as he got 211 passing yards but two interceptions. And also he is being hit in the injury bug by not only, by not only his defense – but his offense as well, especially now that they lo- they're losing their center, Mike Pouncey. Uh, the Denver Broncos just went off as Corlin Sonnen got 92 receiving yards and a touchdown. Philip Lindsay going over 100 rushing yards. And then we had the 425 nationally televised game between the Green Bay Packers and the uh, Dallas Cowboys and the 430 game that everyone was watching. It was. It's the first time in uh, since 2001 where we only had one late afternoon game on Fox. And I think at half halftime was 17 to nothing. Yep, and the Packers just dominated the game early, like you said, Paolo. Uh, they opened up 17 nothing. It was 31 to three in the third quarter. With uh, this is without Devonte Adams, who had a turf toe injury, suffered it again a week ago against the uh, Eagles on Thursday night. But they got a monster effort from Aaron Jones, the running their running back. 19 carries for 107 yards and four rushing touchdowns, along with four seven catches for 75 receiving yards. He made a lot of fantasy owners very happy. Yep, over 40 fantasy points, which is insane. And then and the downfall for the Cowboys was Dak through three interceptions, but had a had a great fantasy day and a in a, a furious comeback as uh, he did target Amari Cooper in the second half. With uh, 11 total catches for 226 yards and a fourth quarter 53 yard touchdown. This without Devontae Adams. Yep, and but the Packers prevailed 34-24. Then we got the Sunday night game where you had the Kansas City Chiefs finally getting their first loss of the season as they go down to the Indianapolis Colts 19-13 at home. Marlon Mack went off as he had 29 carries, 132 yards, but no touchdowns. T.Y. came back from a quad injury, but he didn't do much as uh, he only got 37 receiving yards. I mean, it's a quad injury. How do you expect to uh, be at 100% that quickly? Patrick Mahomes was noticeably limping on and off the field. Yep, and he had a tough time uh, reading the field as the Colts played man-to-man defense throughout the game making him feel uncomfortable throughout. The running back by committee has been non-existent uh, Mm -hmm. Sunday night, although you had a great game from 
Byron Pringle. Yep, I want those chips now. They're making me hungry, Paolo. <laughs> yeah, oh, did you have to mention that now? Now I am hungry. <laughs> and then we have the Monday Night um, Massacre in, um, in San Francisco as... It was a domination by the uh, undefeated home team, the 49ers. Baker Mayfield had three first-half turnovers, two interceptions, including one to Richard Sherman. We'll not get into the antics, the pre-game antics and whatnot, and post-game antics, but yeah, they were trash-talking quite a bit. Yeah, and so Baker Mayfield uh, had a horrible outing in the first half. The run uh, run game and run uh, prevent for the 49ers was... In, was on fire all night, 275 rushing yards, and they only allowed 102 total allowed yards, rushing yards. And it was such a blowout that Ma- Baker was actually benched for the last series of the game. By Garrett Gilbert. Yep. And the 49ers rolled 31-13 and have proven that they have the second best defense in the NFL. I'm just glad that Monday Night Massacre is now associated with the Redskins this week. Yep. So, yeah, that's going to do it with our recap. We did go actually like about 10, 11 minutes long, but we give you a thorough recap of all the games that took place last week. And then for our preview, we have the Redskins versus Dolphins. Let's Yep, yeah, the Redskins are favored by three points, surprisingly, despite firing their head coach. So what's the final score, Paolo? Nobody's got to win. <laughs> the Redskins are trying to win, but they're losing. The Dolphins are trying to lose, but they may end up winning because the Dolphins are playing a tough recently. Mm-hmm. I think the Redskins finally get their win, although I can definitely see Miami winning. Bill Callahan is going to try to light a spark on this offense. Bill Callahan is going to try to uh, get, get the running game going. That has been non-existent, as we mentioned before. I think AP goes off this time. Hmm. I think AP will get 100 rushing yards. Jeez, the biggest game of his uh, season. Yep. And I think you're going to see a spark with uh, this Redskins offense. But it depends on who their quarterback is. could be Colt McCoy, but there are reports that's leaning back to Case Keenum. Which, Case Keenum didn't do bad other than that uh, disastrous Monday night game against Chicago and the Giants. I'm going to go with... The Washington Redskins. Key is, though, can the defense stop somebody? Yep. What's your prediction to your score? Oh, right. <laughs> I would have to say 24-17. Hmm. I'm on a similar wavelength to you. I think the Redskins will win, but it will be uh, – It's close, though. Like Bruce Allen said, it's close. <laughs> <laughs> Fun intended because, yeah, we're not close at uh, any playoff uh, potential at this point. But we're going to win. I'm going to say it's going to be lower scoring than that. I'm going to say something along the lines of 17-13. And then we have our Dark Horse Game of the Week, like we've had for the past four, four, five weeks now, where we don't pick the marquee games. So, Paolo, your pick for Game of the Week? Wait, does 49ers or Rams count? All right. I'm picking the 49ers or Rams. The reason why is that I've been impressed by the 49ers. They are undefeated so far. Uh, great job for Kyle Shanahan as he's got this team on a roll. That 49ers defense is relentless. Yep. Nick Bosa. The defensive player of the week for the uh, NFC. Oh, my gosh. Who's the other defensive player? That, oh my goodness, I'm Eric Armstead, but no, I think you're no. thinking of somebody else. 
Not not Armstead. Um, uh, He's on the D line. I know. Oh, that. the Forrest Buckner. All right, that Buckner. It. That was it. The Forrest Buckner. Him and Nick Bosa is making that D line really good. So the pass rush is doing good. That being said, the reason I'm picking this game because I want to see how they do in their first divisional matchup in Los Angeles against the Rams, and I think the Rams win because it's at home, and I think. The Rams have more experience on winning the games that accounts than the 49ers. The 49ers are on a roll, but can they beat the great teams, especially in their division? Because they got to go through the Rams twice. they got to go through the Seahawks twice. Cardinals may not be good, but it's still a divisional matchup. So I'm going to pick Rams 31-17. doesn't bode well for me because I have 49ers as a defense in fantasy, so... If the uh, Rams light it up, I'm screwed. But, so yeah, my Dark Horse Game of the Week is also going to be a, a, a NFC West uh, team. It's the Seattle Seahawks versus the Cleveland Browns. And this is in Cleveland. Yet, despite that, the Seahawks are favored by one and a half points. So it's interesting that the away team is actually favored. So they're going from DeForest Buckner and Nick Bosa to Jadavian Clowney. Yep, and that's going to be fun. Uh, sorry, Browns fans. It's going to be a fun, entertaining game because these two teams can light it up. That's given if the Browns' uh, offensive line can hold, as it wasn't the case uh, the on Monday night. Stop Seattle. Seattle's on a roll. Yeah, offensively. Yeah, like we said, uh, Russell Wilson's MVP player. Um, they have Chris Carson, who's been playing really well. Tyler Lockett. Uh, Tyler Lockett. And then uh, DK Metcalf had a touchdown last week, and so they have weapons. And so my score prediction. And Will Disley. Yeah, and Will Disley, who's who. Uh, what's interesting is that Brian Baldinger, who's that famous uh, NFL uh, network, NFL network analyst, he did an AMA, which is an Ask Me Anything on Reddit, where anyone can ask him a question. He was being asked, uh, "Who is the most underrated uh, tight end uh, this year?" He said Will Disley because he can pass block, he can run block, and he can catch. He's insanely good, and so. Yeah, I'm picking the Seahawks here to win in a close one, 24-20. And last week, so I gave a score predi- prediction for my Dark Horse game of the week. It was between the Saints and Bucks. I predicted uh, 38-24 Bucks, but instead it was the inverse as the Saints won 31-24. And so now, after all that NFL talk is done, we now have the birthday game. Happy birthday to everyone born on October 9th and throughout the week. Yep. So we have uh, seven birthdays on today's slate of on October 9th. And so we're going to start off with a legend, a guy who passed away actually in back in 1980. But how old will he be today? He was the for- founder and singer of the Beatles, John Lennon. John Lennon. When did he pass? He passed away in 1980 at the age of four. Oh, I told you the... Yeah. Oh, no, I told you how... Yeah, he oh, died he in 1980. Yeah. 1980. Yep. Okay. Oh. But he was a member of the Beatles, and Beatles are pretty old. Of course. Yeah, because I wasn't born yet. <laughs> yeah. My 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 mom and dad would know this. They did play a Beatles song uh, to me when I was a kid, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, my parents still play Beatles songs because, yeah, they're world-renowned. So how old is John Legend Woody, if he was still living today? John Legend. Lennon. Oh. 
I'm thinking not John Legend. Wrong. Yeah. I'm thinking about the wrong John. Yep. That guy is uh, Oscar. He won an Oscar. He won an Emmy. He won a Tony. Yeah. What's All around. John Lennon. Yep. How old would he be today? Seventy-five. Oh, so close. Seventy-nine. Oh. Well, at least I was close. <laughs> yeah, in the ballpark. I was about to say eighty. Yep, and then next up we have a uh, one of the uh, world's most famous female golfers who uh, retired. Uh, uh, I think like five, seven, eight years ago, uh, she won uh, ten majors, won over twenty-two million dollars in her career, eight Player of the Year awards. Annika Sorenstam. She retired like I I don't have the num the uh, year, but I believe she retired earlier this decade. Okay, it wasn't recently. Yeah. I'm going to say 46. Ooh, close. The same ballpark. 49. Oh. Next up, uh, these are two local guys. Local guy uh, in Baltimore is his first one. Ex-Orioles second baseman debuted in 2001, but retired in 2014. And does Orioles radio color commentary, Brian Roberts. Brian Roberts, I think he is 37 years old. Ooh, too young. 42. Next up is the uh, UMD point guard legend, won the title with the Terps in 2002, drafted by the Wizards in that year, and now is the head coach of Coppin State. Juan Dixon. Juan Dixon. Oh, wow. So if he won the title in 2002 as a player student... How old is he now? Uh, 31? Way too young. 41. Oh, 10 man. years off. That was my first <laughs> guess. That was my first guess. Wow. Now we're continuing with the NBA. This is actually kind of like an NBA role player who has since retired. He played on the. He was drafted by the Clippers, number three overall in 2000. Play on the Cavs, Blazers, and Grizzlies as a small forward, power forward, Darius Miles. 36? 38. Oh. Okay, two more left. This one is a ex-Bears linebacker, was a Ravens linebacker coach, then became the 49ers linebacker coach, and most famously the 49ers head coach, Mike Singletary. Mike Singletary. Who did not like Vernon Davis one bit. But Vernon Davis did credit him in him becoming a better player and a better man. Yeah. So how old is Mike Singletary? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I want winners. Yep. I'm going to get this wrong. I know this. Um, 59? This is your closest you've ever been. 61. Oh. <laughs> And lastly, since we're going into the college ranks shortly, he's uh, ex-Auburn, Cincinnati, LSU, Florida State QB coach, ex-Florida State head coach, and current Texas A&M head coach, Jimbo Fisher. Like all the Redskins media was saying about Jay Gruden, if he was going to go down, he might as well go down swinging. So I'm going to go down swinging. I'll say Jimbo Fisher is 54. <laughs> wow! Whoops! <laughs> yes. At least I got one right. Yep. But man, I, 
I'm still mad that I got one Dixon wrong. I know, up by 10 years, he's 41. If yeah. he was still playing, yes, he would be 31. Yeah, but there are times where I thought somebody was retired, and I put like four, I, I go around the 40s, but they were still around the 30 range. Hmm. So that's why, I don't know why I blanked. So I'm more mad about uh, Juan Dixon. But happy yep. birthday, Juan. Yep. And so now we're going to go to our college football week six recap, and then follow with a week seven preview, along with a Heisman uh, talk update as well. So we covered, uh, I believe, six or seven games last week that we were going to talk about. And, yeah, we have all sorts of outcomes. So we had uh, number 14, Iowa, playing against number 19, Michigan, at the big house. And this was a very low-scoring game as both teams went scoreless after halftime. Michigan got a fourth-quarter TD from Zach Charbonnet, their running back, and they ended up winning over their Big Ten rival, 10-3. 10-3. Then we had uh, Maryland at Rutgers. Uh, and if I wouldn't be surprised if you, a Maryland fan, missed this game. As this game was a route right from the get-go. I wouldn't have been surprised had they lost to Rutgers. Because they have lost to Rutgers before. I remember yeah. going to a game, um, I would have to say, late 2013 or late 2014. I went to a Maryland home game against Rutgers. Tail two halves. Leading in the first half, they collapsed, and Rutgers won the second half. So I I wouldn't have been surprised had Rutgers won. But thankfully, Maryland got back on track. Yep, uh, the Scarlet Knights actually fired their head coach the previous Friday, and the Terps jumped to a 27-7 halftime lead and never looked back, winning 48-7. But I think somebody got injured on the process. Yep, the concern is for quarterback Josh Jackson, who left the game in the second half after injuring his right ankle right before halftime and never returned. Uh, fortunately, I thought uh, I actually was thinking it was his knee, which was be yet again another knee injury for a uh, Maryland quarterback, deja vu, over and over and over again. Maryland cannot have nice things. Yeah, but luckily they caught a break in that it was only an ankle injury and not a knee. And I think he's already ruled out. Yep, he's ruled out for the Purdue game this uh, this Saturday, unfortunately, and so we get to see. Yep, we get to see Piggy make his first turn of the year. Tyrell Pegram, I believe he's a junior, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. He's a, yeah, he's like he would have to be a redshirt junior because he did tear his ACL in his uh, sophomore season. Hmm. That was the game against Texas in yeah. Austin, Texas. And then we had the probably the uh, out of the slate of games, the upset of the of the past week in which. Texas Tech at home upset number 21 Oklahoma State, winning 45-35 behind quarterback Jet Duffy's 26 out of 44, 424 yards, and four touchdown performance. As the Texas Tech defense came to play, they forced two fumbles and accrued seven sacks. This, despite Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard running for uh, 156 yards on 34 carries and three touchdowns. An interesting note is that he holds a significant lead in the rushing category in all of college football. He, uh, this is Chuba Hubbard for Oklahoma State, has 1,094 yards, rushing yards. The next highest, Ohio State J.K. Dobbins at 826. J.K. Dobbins, I've seen him play at a high level, but I haven't seen much... Uh, Chubba Hubbard. But. It's the funniest name, too, Chubba Hubbard. 
So they ended up losing, unfortunately, Oklahoma State. And then we have uh, number 7 Auburn at number 10 Florida, which is a battle of uh, big e- uh, no SEC teams and undefeated teams at 5-0. and And this was a close game throughout with, but, uh, with several third-quarter punts as the Gators opened to a 17-13 halftime lead and made Auburn quarterback Joe uh, Bo Nix look like a freshman. And he only went 11 for 27 for uh, 145 yards on a paltry total and three interceptions. Florida uh, pulled away in the four, late in the fourth quarter after a game-sealing 88-yard touchdown from Michael Pirine, who is a cousin of ex-Redskin and ex-Sooner Samaje Pirine. And I think Kern Bangle. Yep. Florida wins 24-13. Without their starting quarterback, Felipe Franks. Yep, out for the year. Then we have uh, had uh, Texas uh, go to West Virginia in a battle of uh, Big 12 teams. And uh, this game was competitive for three quarters as uh, Longhorns had a 21-17 lead. But the ranked Texas squad pulled away with 21 fourth quarter points. Winning 42-31. Didn't you pick West Virginia to beat Texas? Yeah, I did last week. And it was close, uh, 21-17 after three. But then Texas defense came, uh, stepped up, and uh, Sam Ellinger played well. Joseph Osai had seven tackles, one assist. And there was one uh, like highlight real interception by a Texas cornerback. He basically did an Obadell Beckham-type catch to rob the uh, uh, West Virginia receiver from making a catch. Did you say, um, corner? Well, probably B.J. Foster. Mm. I forget who. I don't know who it was, but it was a spectacular More catch. Mm. It was a spectacular catch, nevertheless. And then for the night games, there was Ohio- uh, Michigan State on the road at uh, Ohio State, undefeated 5-0 Ohio State. I'm not surprised they uh, destroyed uh, uh, Michigan State. They have been owning... Uh, the Michigan teams in the Big Ten for several years. Yep, and they continue to show the nation why they should be the best team in college football as they steamrolled past the Spartans 34-10. The team was led by actually by the other Heisman candidate in J.K. Dobbins, who had 24 carries for a buck 72 yards and a touchdown in a Saturday in the Saturday night win at home. And then in the... Uh, uh, Pac-12, Pac-12, we had California going on the road to or- number 13, Oregon, as the Ducks win in a low-scoring game, uh, 17-7. That's your uh, recap of the big games that we covered last week. And now to the high school. Oh, wait. Yep. There was something I wanted to point out. Sure. Uh, in the SMU-Tulsa game, you had Tulsa kicking off to SMU and... The SMU uh, return man was trying to go for the ball, but it, the ball went over the SMU receiver, so the ball hit the ground. And in kickoff, the ball hits the ground. It's a live ball. So Tulsa recovered for Tulsa a touchdown? Tulsa recovered into the end zone for a touchdown. Rip. <laughs> Rip uh, SMU. <laughs> yeah. Although SMU still won in overtime, forty-three to thirty-seven, but I just never saw that in kickoff. It happened uh, actually. Year, I believe a couple years ago between the Bills and Jets, the uh, I forget which team was kicking off. I think it was the uh, Jets were returning the ball, were getting the receipt the ball. Uh-huh. This was before they had the fair catch 
rule where the ball goes into the end zone as a touchback or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they kicked off. The ball rolled from around the one-yard line, between the five-yard line and into the end zone. The Jets didn't touch it. The Bills ran down the field, recovered the pun, the, uh, the kickoff. kickoff, and got a touchdown out of it. <laughs> so, yeah, it has happened in the NFL, and we saw it with the uh, in the NCAA over the past weekend with SMU and Tulsa. And so now we get to our Heisman Trophy candidate update. We did have a bit of a switcheroo in terms of the, the top three and the bottom half of the... Heisman uh, candidates in the as in the top ten. So, uh, Tua Tagovailoa is now the number one uh, best odds to get the Heisman Trophy, according to Bovoda, as he jumps from number three to number one, despite Alabama not playing over the past week. Just because everybody loves Alabama. Yep. Number two is actually uh, Jalen Hurts, who jump who drops from one to two, because uh, he had a kind of a decent game, not a great game. Uh, 16 of 24 for 228 yards, two touchdowns, did throw a pick, but then also had 10 rushes for 56 yards and two touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, and a 45-20 win over Kansas. Three is Joe Burrow, the quarter, the LSU quarterback, who fell from two to three, when, but he did have a huge game, 344 yards and five touchdowns and another rushing touchdown in a 42-6 win over Utah State. Then at number four... We have Justin Fields, who jumps from 5 to 4, who uh, had a decent game, uh, kind of like Jalen Hurts, 17 of 25 for 206 yards, two touchdowns and a pick, and did rush uh, 11 times for 61 yards and a touchdown. Number 5 comes Jonathan Taylor, the only non-QB in the top 5, as he had, again, another huge game, 186 yards, four touchdowns, and another receiving touchdown in a 48-0 blowout win over Kent State. Followed that with the uh, Georgia quarterback Jake Frum from State Farm, who who went from 6-6. Six to six. He didn't move at all. Went 24 out of 29, basically only missed three passes, five passes all game for 288 yards and two touchdowns in a 43-14 win over Tennessee. Followed by his running back, uh, DeAndre Swift from Georgia, who uh, had 72 yards and a touchdown and another 72 yards receiving and a 43-14 win over Tennessee. At number eight comes Sal Mellinger. He didn't move from last week's uh, spot in terms of the Heisman Trophy candidate. He went 18 of 33 for 211 yards and two touchdowns, did throw a pick, and did rush for two touchdowns as well in a 42-31 win over West Virginia. Followed that by number number nine with J.K. Dobbins, like I mentioned earlier, his numbers, and at number ten, Trevor Lawrence, who was ranked, who was eleventh, and now moves up to ten, even though they had a bye week uh, this past week. I'm not surprised about Tua Tagovailoa being a number one. He's playing at a high level, so it may, it makes sense that he's that he's going to be a number one. But for how long? Yep, and then Hertz is number two, like I mentioned. Burrow number three. And Trevor Lawrence is still at number 10 in terms of Heisman Trophy candidates' odds. What a free fall. Yeah, I know, because he had such, he was projected to win the Heisman uh, in the preseason. And I thought that, in the end, Trevor Lawrence will win. Apparently, I'm going to be wrong on that. I mean, it's only four weeks into the se- five weeks into the season, but... But going from three to ten... Or he was number one to ten. Going from number one to ten... 
That's a big free fall. Yep. And now we have, uh, uh, let's see, seven games that we're going to be talking about in uh, week six. Huge games. We have uh, two, three, four games between ranked teams. That's eight teams total facing off against each other. First off is a team is a game between two unranked teams, one being the local Maryland team in three and two Maryland versus one and four Purdue. It's a noon kickoff on uh, on Saturday. Your thoughts, Paulo? That would be tricky. The big key for Maryland is that can Piggy make the big plays uh, by throwing the ball downfield because. We only see Piggy come into the game as a runner, not as a passer. But I know and I've heard news that in camp that Mike Loxley was impressed by how well Piggy was throwing the football. And it made a tough decision on him on who to select as a starting quarterback, which we now know went to Josh Jackson. So that's the big key. Can Piggy do enough in the passing game to win? Because we know the running game is going to do well, but what about the passing game? That being said, I'm going to give this to Purdue. Hmm. I know. Purdue is one and four, though. True. But and they, they have beat, a... They, they beat Ohio State last year. Yeah, but that was last year. But this yeah. is a new year, and, and what I've heard on Reddit is that they have a myriad of injuries. That in case, I'm going to go with Maryland. And as Samir mentioned, that they have a multitude of injuries. But, you don't, but like I said, it's going to depend on the passing game. Yeah, will it be like against Temple like we saw where Maryland couldn't get any offense going or will it be a like we saw against uh, last week against Rutgers where they scored 49 points or whatever and a blowout win? So, But the big game among the uh, noon uh, games is the Red River shootout between number 6 Oklahoma and uh, what's Number 11 Texas. Yep, and number 11 Texas, a battle between two Heisman Trophy candidates and Jalen Hurts. Versus Sam Ellinger, and this is will be played in Texas, and I'm going to be rooting for Oklahoma. I, I don't know why, but I always have a fetish and love for Oklahoma over these uh, in these Red River shootouts. Ever since AP was with the team, he had Sam Bradford, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Trevor Williams went to Oklahoma. Yep, that too. So, who who are you taking? What are your thoughts about the game? Normally in the Red River rivalry, I like to go with Texas. But in this case, even though Texas is playing at a high level, I got to go with Oklahoma. Oklahoma is showing no signs of slowing down. Jalen Hurst is on fire, and he has a lot of great weapons like um, CeeDee Lamb. He's got Trey Sermon, the running back, Braden Willis. He's got a multitude of weapons. And... And I don't see that changing on the Cotton Bowl. Texas is going to make this a fight, but in the end, I think Oklahoma wins. Agreed. And then we have uh, number one Alabama off a bye going on the road to Texas A&M. Alabama wins. In the 3-30 game. You think Alabama wins? Yeah. You think it'll be a shootout or you think it'll be a defensive game but a, a blowout? I think in the first half it's going to be a shootout. And then in the second half, Alabama wakes up and wins decisively. So I think it's going to be 42 to 20. Jeez, 22-point blowout. Jeez, I don't think it'll be that bad. 
But we'll see. Have you seen Alabama? They have a good uh, offense. It's their defense I'm kind of worried about because they did uh, what score what? Allow 50? Uh, no. They had a bye week last week, but in previous weeks, they have allowed like 30-some points to opposing teams. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I do. I, I have seen their defense, and it is uh, concerning, but I just think that their offense is just so good, it's bailing their defense out. Hmm. So that's why I think Alabama wins. Again, it's going to be close in the first half, but in the second half, it's going to be very decisive. Gotcha. Next up, it's a battle between Big Ten teams as Michigan State goes on the road to Wisconsin. Undefeated Wisconsin at three o'clock, three thirty on Saturday. You think Wisconsin wins and uh, Jonathan Taylor uh, does Jonathan Taylor things? I'm going Wisconsin. Yep, Jonathan Taylor is going to continuing on a roll and it ain't stopping uh, this week. I guess Ohio State that'd be a different story. I'm actually thinking that this will be the upset of the week. Michigan really? State goes on the road and defeats Wisconsin. I'm kind of um, concerned about Michigan State's offense, though. Hmm. I just don't think they'll be able to do well against Wisconsin's defense. We'll see. That's my uh, upset pick of the week. And then we have the night games, and there's three games, a slew of games, which are both exciting. I'm going to be flipping back and forth among all three games. First up, it's your USC Trojans, Paulo, at number nine, Notre Dame. Yep, and USC is getting back heat and slowness. Mm -hmm. So am I going to go with the upset? (laughs) <laughs> Here's my decision. I think Notre Dame is winning. Really? Despite your love of uh, USC? Uh, got to be realistic. Angie, despite how much you hate Notre Dame? Uh, yeah, I don't like Notre <laughs> Dame, but i got to be realistic, dude. I True. Be, just like I was realistic in picking Washington to beat USC. Hmm. Chris Peterson knows what to do, and USC was going with their third-string quarterback against a first-ranked defense in the Pac-12 in Washington. Look, I'm not impressed with Notre Dame's offense. I will say what USC has does well um, that Notre Dame does is defense. But I just think uh, offensively USC is not going to move the ball well against Notre Dame. Hmm. So Notre Dame wins. And next up, actually, I'm going to rev- uh... – Backtrack. I'm not gonna. I'm actually gonna say Wisconsin is gonna win that game. I'm actually gonna say this is gonna be the upset of the week. Number and the Big Ten. Number ten, Penn State goes on the road to face number seventeen, Iowa, and I think Iowa wins. I can't disagree with you because Iowa is a tough team, and it can, they have a very good chance of beating Penn State. And this is a road game for Penn State too. And you know how Big Ten road games can be again with. Two top 25 teams. That crowd's going to be hostile in Iowa. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Iowa, too. Uh, you two are going to pick the upset. Yeah. Sorry, Matt, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. We're going to pick uh, against your team, mm-hmm. your Nittany Lions. And then the last game of the slate should be also a good one, as both of these teams, SEC teams, should be vying for the spot on the um, college football playoffs when all is said and done come on uh, late November. Number seven, Florida against uh, at Baton Rouge at Death Valley at LSU. I'm going to go with LSU because uh, Joe Burrow is playing lights out right now. Yeah, he has, what, like an 80% completion rate or something insane like that this year? Yeah, he does. And he's got good weapons. Yep. I don't see him slowing down, just like I said, with uh, Jalen Hurts and Jonathan Taylor. But then again, Florida does have a – like one of the best defenses in college football. Yes, they do. 
And they have moved the ball well offensively. I just think that the LSU defense will be too much for Florida's offense. Hmm. Yep, I'm going to pick LSU too because, yeah, Joe Burrow is a Heisman Trophy candidate. He's right now ranked number three, Was uh, went as high as number two last week. Florida does have a chance to upset LSU. It's just playing in Death Valley at nighttime. Yep. It's very daunting. Who's the head coach again for LSU? Ed Ogeron. Oh, Ed Ogeron, right. I keep on thinking it's Les Miles, but Miles no, went no, to he's Kansas. Kansas. Yep. It's Ed Ogeron against Dan Mullen. Mm-hmm. Should be a fun one, nevertheless, and I'm picking LSU for the win. So we talked a lot about uh, all different sports. Like I said, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify and on Google Play. Or you can find us by simply Googling our name, The Spin Move Podcast, where we give our spin on the week's worth of news. And you can follow us on Twitter, and Spin Move Podcast is our uh, handle. And you can like, retweet us, quote tweet us, DM us. And feel free to give us a uh, review on uh, Apple Podcasts and whatnot. Enjoy the weekend, everyone. I hope you have a great uh, October weekend coming up with a great slate of football games, NFL and college football. And for Paolo and uh, Samir, signing off. Have a great week, everyone. Go Nats. Go Mystics. <laughs>